Ain't this what they been waiting for? You ready? Uh, uh I used to pray for times like this To rhyme like this So I had to grind like that To shine like this If I ain't gonna be part of the greatest I gotta be the greatest myself There's, there's one side of pain that's the suffering and the discomfort side of pain. That's why everybody raised their hands when I first asked, do you have anybody ever been through pain? Because that hurt. You remember what that felt like. But then there's another side of pain that's called effort. It's called glory. It's called if you can find a way to push through pain, there's something greater on the other side of it. And, 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 and if you never tap into it, it's because the first time you felt it, you back home. Hey, how you doing? My name is Taku David and you are tuned into a new episode of The Young Money Show where we talk to young people who are absolutely taking over the industry in their own ways, one day at a time. Today I am joined by Tafazwa Mundicha, who is the co-founder and CFO of Sogas Energy, which is a renewable energy business. Tafazwa, how you doing, man? Good, good, Taku. It's a pleasure to be here. No, very happy to have you on the show. Uh, you know, it's hard to get uh, Madara Madara on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I wish one day, one day is one day. Yeah, you know, uh, young, young daughters, you know, we, we like to see young daughters developing and we, we, we love to share your stories, uh, see what you're doing and give some Zimbabweans inspiration and challenge them a bit to see if they can uh, pick up and uh, chase where you are now. So really grateful for you being here. Uh, let's get straight into it. Sogas Energy, what do you guys do? So Solgas Energy is an independent power producer. Uh, currently, we're feeding five megawatts into the national grid. We are the biggest solar independent power producer. That's actually feeding into the grid at this particular point in time. There are other IPPs um, that are licensed for bigger capacities, but they haven't started feeding for different reasons. Um, it's a company that uh, I co-founded in 2015, May 2015 simply to respond to the challenge of electricity that we were facing from 2014. Personally, having been pushed out of a particular business that was so dear to me back in 2014. So I started researching how does one make electricity and then bumped into solar. So initially I was doing it for in order for me to power my operations. Then I discovered that I basically needed a solar farm because the operation then was demanding a lot of power so i needed a lot of space so i said you know what i'm just going to go back into employment a bit so i went back and started uh, working for solar hut solar zimbabwe so solar hut mm. is a power and electrical uh, engineering company uh, they did the bulk of the prepaid, prepaid meters for electricity in zim so they were one of the first uh, ipps to be licensed for solar for solar energy in the country so when I went there, I went there in a capacity of business development. Um, after about six months, I quit when I started Solgas. Wow, okay, big move, <laughs> big move. And let, let's rewind a little bit. Um, before you were a founder, you know, of, of your own business, uh, you were uh, you were an employee once. You you like you said, you went and you found work, and you were an MD at a very very young age. And I think you served many high-level roles within different organizations at a very young age. I think, you know, from 24, 25, 26. Yes. What 
was your X factor that you think allowed you to operate at such a high level, at such a tender age? Having done my articles with uh, STC International then, um, I started working for mostly indigenous, black indigenous uh, business owners. So the organizations were typically small, but they allowed me to work close enough to the owners of the business, businesses, um, and also the directors of, of, of the company. So I learned uh, that, you know what, uh, starting a business and leading an organization is not rocket science. You just need to be close enough to the action to see what your boss is doing, to tell uh, when your boss is lying, when <laughs> <laughs> you know that my boss is lying but he's getting business, uh, when your boss is telling the truth, um, and then, you know, you learn, you learn by doing. So there's a general, uh, most people generally like to work for, for big organizations, you know, big corporates. It's got its own advantages, but also disadvantages. For example, if I worked for a company like Econet, I would have had to start, you know, maybe as a clerk. Uh, mm. And I'm not too sure how they've gotten access to... The levels you, you reach. The levels mm. of, 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 of interacting with, uh, with the directors. But having worked for indigenous guys, they took a liking towards me because I was a, I was a hard worker, or well, smart worker, I would like to call it now. <laughs> uh, and I was also very, very uh, enthusiastic about my work. Um, and they just liked me for, for, for some reason. And I, I, I found myself sitting in meetings that I didn't deserve to be sitting in uh, at that particular point in time. But it gave me a window to learn to see how they conduct their business, how they get new business, how do they run their, their ships. So it's, 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 it's all about proximity to, to the business owners. As long as you get an opportunity to, to learn from, from the owner, then mm -hmm. you know, you'll be able to replicate it in your own way, in your own space, filling whatever gaps are existing. In so the so really joining forces with the kings, uh, sitting at tables with the kings. Exactly. Yeah. You need to find a way to get uh, to not, not, not sometimes sit on the table, Sometimes you can be a fly on the wall. You can even sweep mm. whilst they're having you know, the board meetings and everything. Oh, this is what happens in a board meeting. Oh, this is how you you pitch to a bank when you want to, when you want to get funds. You know things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, just be as close enough to the action as you can be legally. That is, uh, and then also do your work in such a smart way, and volunteer to do things that are not necessarily on your on your jobs uh, on on your responsibilities. Uh, in terms of a particular job and that way you, you, you get closer and closer. So how long have you been in the uh, solar industry now? Started in 2015, uh, this May it will be seven years. You know in the, in the solar industry personally you know I've seen you know uh, I personally thought the market was saturated in the solar industry. In the last maybe five six years we've seen so many companies popping up into the industry and you wonder is there still business. We've seen some come we've seen some go. How have you managed to remain so consistent in that space? So from the onset, we've always been clear in terms of the space that we want to play in. You find that indeed, like you're saying, there are a lot of solar companies all around doing installations uh, left, right and center. Uh, as solar gas, we don't do domestic installations because of the admin work that's, that, that's involved. We decided to go large scale. So as long as it's solar, where you actually need to get licensed by the regulator, then we're interested. If it's smaller, we're not interested. So we we are a big company that started small. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that's very very important to to mention. 
most people want to start big businesses in a in a big way and that's hence they end up failing but we are very uh, conscious and alive to our strengths and weaknesses of which we decided we need to prove this concept before we can start talking of your 50 your 100 megawatts we said we'll start as small as we can but uh, also large enough to just have the the impact uh, to be noticeable and I'm glad to say that uh, on, on the 18th of March last month uh, His Excellency Dr. Emerson Dabuzumnanga, the President, came to commission our, our flagship project. Wow. Uh, it, was, it was such an honor. You know, uh, seeing uh, a baby that, you, that you've nurtured from, from a tender age of 27 when you're a baby mm -hmm. to a certain extent yourself uh, and the whole president coming to you know, to commission, it, 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 was, um, it was humbling, it was uh, amazing. That's amazing to hear. And, you know, you said, you know, a small, a big company starting small. And I think it can only get bigger, you know, in the scope of, of the energy industry. So how much scale, how much capacity is there to grow in this space in Zimbabwe and across Africa? If we were to look at um, Zim, for example, currently our grid is a 2.2 gigawatt grid. Um, at best, but we are producing circa around a thousand megawatts as a country. There's a scope to immediately cover a gap of about 400 megawatts, which is what we're importing mostly from Mozambique now. And you know, usually, a rule of thumb with solar, you're looking at about at maximum 30% of your total grid capacity to, to feed um, with solar technology because of its volatility, because you're only feeding power during the day. Um, mm. and at night it drops to zero unless you've got a battery bank we are also closely monitoring the the battery technology the prices are continuously going down but i think when it's financially feasible we we'll then move into to put in battery banks in all of our all of our solar power plants but then when you then look at um, the national development strategy document uh, with the 2030 goals zem is supposed to be around you know anything between seven to 10,000 megawatts. So the moment that you've got a grid that carries 10,000 megawatts, it means that there's scope for renewable energy, particularly solar, for up to 3,000 megawatts. So that's, that's, that's the Zim case. When you look at Africa as a continent, uh, we've got uh, demand of about 24,000 megawatts of solar currently as we're speaking, if we're looking at, at the grid capacity of, of, of Africa. And uh, the only countries that are really doing well in the solar space in Africa are South Africa and Egypt. Uh, or most of the Pan-African countries, they're still, you know, within, within the trenches. And we're, we're in the market to, to, to fill in that gap. Um, I'm also very passionate about making sure that come five, ten years down the line, we've got a lot of Pan-African developers was sadly what's happening on the African continent is that mm. you've got Europeans, Americans, and the Chinese coming in to set up these energy assets on the African continent. What that means is that 10 years down the line, these assets are going to be foreign-owned. It's foreign currency going mm. out of Africa in the form of dividends and loan repayments. But if Pan-Africans like myself own these assets, it means that the money is going to be in Africa and is going to be used to develop Further infrastructure, be it, be it in the in the power and electrical generation space, or infrastructure space in, in in general. So we need more people, more developers to participate, 
in Pan-African, black Pan-African developers. At this point, um, you spoke of countries like Egypt and South Africa, and I would like to contrast. So generally, in terms of energy output or percentage of what the renewable energy output is compared to the uh, traditional means of energy in South Africa, what percentage of renewable energy is being fed into their grid, which I have an idea. Um, the last time that I checked, the renewables were contributing sec about 20%. In terms of solar South Africa, I think it's they're nearing 5,000 megawatts. Um, sorry, rather, uh, renewables, 5,000 megawatts, which is really good because South Africa is a, is a 50 gigawatt uh, nation. So South Africa basically produces 50,000 megawatts of, 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 of electricity. But you find that South Africa does not have as many water bodies as Zimbabwe. Mm. They struggle when it comes to water. So in Zim, we've got good, good scope for, for hydro, hydroelectric power plants. Mina Hydro is all over because we've got dams all over mm -hmm. in, in Zimbabwe. So it's also space that needs to be utilized. Um, there are a couple of players within the hydro space. Uh, talk of your NRAE, Nyongando Renewables. They play mostly in the Eastern Highlands space. And they've been doing a quite, amazing, quite amazing job. The last time that I checked, they're contributing about 30 megawatts or so of hydro and about 2.5 megawatts of solar into the national grid. And with the adoption of, um, of renewable energies in Africa, I've got a question for you. There's a lot of infrastructure that we need to develop to become uh, competitive in the renewable energy space. And I think, you know, countries like Zimbabwe are well endowed with, you know, uh, assets such as coal and the likes. Do you think that it, um, it's fair for us to be then forced to invest capital, capital which we are struggling to actually get into the renewable energy space when we have a high endowment of assets which have actually enriched other countries all around the world? So talk with the trade. Uh, if the rest of the world wants Zimbabwe, for example, to really stop investing in, in, in thermal power plants, then they should provide the funding for, for the renewable energy power plants. It's that simple. So. From COP26, we've got a commitment um, from the first world countries of $100 billion every year for the next five years flowing into Africa. But to be honest, uh, the way that it's currently flowing, it's coming with their own developers, coming to develop the, the, mm. the, the assets on the African continent. The excuse is always there are no quality developers in, in Africa. Mm. And we're here to challenge that narrative. Mm. We've got a proof of concept. Uh, we've got a power plant that's fully funded by Zimbabweans fully being run by Zimbabweans and fully developed by Zimbabweans. The one thing that we have in Zimbabwe is we've had so many challenges for the past two decades. But those challenges have also helped us to toughen up, to thicken our, it has thickened our skins, if, mm -hmm. if, if, if I can call it that. We've, had, we've developed some serious skin in, skin in the game in terms of entrepreneurship. I would argue to say, you know, Zimbabweans and Nigerians are probably some of the best entrepreneurs that you come across. All over the, the world. On the African continent. I'm yeah. not too sure about all over the world. Maybe I'm not that well traveled, <laughs> but um, the number of challenges that we faced in those jurisdictions, they've also taught us how to maneuver in complex situations, which is which is something that you rarely see across across Pan-Africa. Because the people have had it fairly, fairly easier. So, you know, um, you know, our, our challenges uh, have taught us to, to be really good business people. Uh, you were uh, off air. You were telling me that you also came from a mining background. And uh, you alluded to, to battery capacity being another uh, factor to, to think about in the energy space. 
So um, Zimbabwe has recently found deposits of lithium in the country. What advantage does that give us at the energy market, having deposits of lithium in our country? So having those deposits is, is key to um, us addressing the, the challenge of, of, of batteries in the world. But it will be sad to see the day, uh, to see a day whereby that lithium is going to be exported out of the country as raw material. We now need to engage with technology companies that are developing these batteries to come into Zimbabwe uh, and utilize this raw material. So that when we're exporting, we're exporting a value-added product. We've created jobs downstream, and we've we've, we've created um, a lot of uh, capital in, in in the in the process. Some one of the biggest challenges that we faced um, as Africa uh, on on the African continent is that we are losing opportunities to employ our people by simply exporting the raw materials. You know, the process of value-adding, beneficiating these, these different uh, natural resources creates the, the much-needed jobs on the African continent. So we need to be deliberate, we need to be focused, we need to have a tunnel vision, tunnel focus in actually getting the right technology partners to come and partner us on the African continent and utilize the human capital that we have to actually then deliver on these products that can then be exported all over the world. Hey, our South African brother, Mr. Musk, I hope you heard that. <laughs> so, um, you are now, um, you have operations in Rwanda and you um, have operated in other African countries. How is it like being, you know, a Zimbabwean business person operating out of the country, within Africa in particular? Look, it's, it, it's good to be uh, out, out of Zim, simply because, like I said, um, Zim has, has given us a number of challenges which has actually helped us to navigate even some of the toughest um, environments. You know, the, the number of challenges that we faced uh, in Zimbabwe, um, they've really taught us that there are many ways of, 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 of handling complex situations. Because we've got a never, never say die uh, uh, attitude, mm. so it's 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 a matter of you know going into all these African markets and implementing what we've learned in Zimbabwe. And to be honest, you'll be pleasantly surprised that the what some of the people, some of what the people out there are calling um, impossible situations, we've actually. Come, come across them and you've solved uh, the, the, the problems. It's not the past. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we've got some serious experience when it comes to doing business in Africa. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to meet you at the Zimbabwe-Rwanda trade conference. And, um, you know, looking at the relationship that's uh, being developed between our country and Rwanda, you know, what are the synergies that you really see between business in Zimbabwe and business in Rwanda? So there are a number of synergies really to, to look at. Uh, first and foremost, uh, we need to closely monitor the, the double tax uh, treaty uh, that's currently being negotiated between the two governments. Because one of the challenges that you face when you want to set up a business in a foreign country is how to deal with, with, with tax obligations. Um, if you're not too careful, you end up being double taxed as a business as a business person. So it's it's, it's, it's good that the, the, Zimbabwe, the Zimbabwean government and the Rwandan governments are, are talking about how to cushion business people between the two jurisdictions. And then there's also uh, the Kigali International Financial Center. They are setting up to be the finance hub uh, for, for Africa 
uh, there are a lot of uh, interesting um, opportunities that are being discussed at that, at that level. Like for example, now you can list on the Rwanda Stock Exchange uh, and, and then double list in, in, in the same process on the Luxembourg Stock Exchange. So these are back-to-back listings. You're mm-hmm. getting access to, to funds, cheaper funds from, from outside Africa. But the most important thing is to just closely monitor the bilateral agreements that exist between uh, the government of Zimbabwe and the government of Rwanda and other jurisdictions and see how best to exploit the business opportunities that exist between, between the different African countries. Inter-Africa trade is, is the future. Africans need to trade more with Africans. You know, it's it's quite sad that uh, most African jurisdictions, they, they trade with their former colonial masters more than with their next door neighbors mm-hmm. uh, because of uh, the existence of some of these bilateral agreements and caveats that can be taken advantage of. It's high time that as African brothers and sisters, we sit and look at what stops us from doing business with each other. Um, and then we, we exploit the, the, the different strategic advantages that are, that are prevalent in, in, in the African space. You know, usually on this show, I ask you to, to give advice to a couple of young business people. But I feel like you've just done that. <laughs> before you, before, you know, I'm so glad to have had you here. And, you know, I've got a list of questions that I still want to go through. But unfortunately, our time has come to an end. Before we leave, what would you like to share uh, with young Zimbabweans who are in business, who are starting out in business, who are in energy, and who have big dreams, uh, such as yourself? So I would say it's okay to have big dreams, but be realistic in terms of how you start. We've got so many people that have brilliant ideas, but they're trying to tackle a problem that they can't put financial resources towards. Zim is a, is a, is a, is a difficult market to, to raise funding uh, in the sense that if you need Forex, uh, we still have got a bit of challenges. The auction system is helping, but I think uh, we, we need more Forex. Unfortunately, in Zimbabwe, you've got uh, you've got a go-go sitting in Nambudzia with 100 US dollars underneath a pillow mm. uh, because of fear of the of the Zimbabwean dollar. But that 100 dollars is denying a, a young business pe- person to actually you know use it to buy raw materials and create jobs for 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 the next uh, for the next guy. So my advice to to the young people in Zimbabwe is you need to to be focused uh, you need to be very clear in terms of where you want to get to there there are a lot of enticing deals short-term deals in zimbabwe but that's it you'll be playing in the short-term space serious business people always have you know a five ten year business plan in my case we've got 25 year business plan we really know where we want to be 25 years from now but we're doing the small we're taking the small little steps that we can right now you know to make sure that come five ten years on the line we've got a solid business so keep at it uh, let's, let's 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 keep hammering and also uh, further to, to what i've just said I, I would say it's always an advantage to view africa as a country not as a continent mm. because you need scale in business if you look at your own country, Zimbabwe is a country of 14, 14, 15 million people. And business is also about uh, the demand base that you have. 
So if you're dealing with a demand base of 15 million people, there's only so much you can do. But when you're dealing with a demand base of 1.3 billion people, there's a whole lot you can do. So the next billionaires are people that are looking at Africa as a country, not Zimbabwe as a country. That one I'm taking home for myself. My name has been Taku David. This has been the Young Money Show with Tafazo Mundicha. We're going to be on next week, Wednesday, quarter past seven, with more young people like Tafazo who are making a change and taking over Africa, our country. I'm out. Building dreams on the Young Money Show, where entrepreneurial dreams become a reality.